Well, there was um, a sports figure that um, Sports Illustrated said. Now, Sports Illustrated is like the, the premier global sports magazine in the world. So it's different than if I think this is a favorite sports person of mine and I say they're wonderful. But when Sports Illustrated says you're wonderful, that's a pretty big deal. Sports Illustrated said this person we're going to show you uh, was at one time, they dubbed her the most dominant athlete in the world. Let's take a look at it. Rhonda Rowdy Rousey. The most dominant athlete, and not just, not just um, uh, the most dominant female or in this area or whatever, the most dominant athlete in the world. This is exactly what Darlene and my fights look like. Okay, just so. Uh, and I'm the one getting hit. I just want you to know that. Just kidding. We, we really don't fight. So I know you say, well, you've got to have a little more passion than that, so we'll fight about something this afternoon maybe. So Ronda Rowdy Rousey. Ronda Rowdy Rousey, um, just an incredible athlete. She was the first, she was the very first female United States Olympian to win a medal in judo. Very first one. She won all kinds of awards in judo. Then she went to mixed martial arts and then she went to cage fighting, which probably if I had not been called into the ministry, this is probably the profession I would have went into. Uh, so she went in UFC fighting, and she, her first 12 rounds, uh, unstoppable. In fact, get this, um, only one in her first 12 fights, only one person made it to round number two. That's pretty incredible. Eight of the first 12 didn't last 60 seconds in the ring with her. That's crazy. And she was unstoppable, could not be touched, could not be defeated until she could. And in like November 2015, she lost her first fight. And in an interview shortly after that, she said this. She said, I seriously sat there after that loss and seriously contemplated killing myself. Trails of victory, one loss, I thought of killing myself. She said, my identity isn't as the most dominant athlete in the world. If it's not as an unstoppable, undefeatable, you know, person in the ring, then who cares and what am I here for? Wow. Now, this next slide shows Scotty Scheffler. Scotty Scheffler is a PGA golfer. Last year, he donned this green jacket, which is the Masters. The Masters is like the the, uh, you know, Super Bowl of golf. And so the coveted green jacket, I've always thought the green jacket was kind of ugly, but the $2.7 million purse that came with it was, you know, would kind of take a little bit of the ugliness off the jacket. And so he's getting the coveted jacket. That's what everyone would love to have. If you're a professional golfer, there's nothing more you'd want than to have him slide this jacket on you. Well, something interesting happened because he was winning pretty well in the Masters, but they have like three rounds. And so he's gone to his last round of golf, and uh, he won, obviously. You see him getting the jacket. And they asked him, they said, how do you separate, you know, just life with your, um, your fierce competition? I mean, you're obviously a fierce competitor. And so he said, well, let me tell you this. When I got up this morning to do this round and was winning... My wife said to me, she said, honey, she said, if you go out and win today, 
Or if you blow your lead and lose by 10 strokes, you're still you, I still love you, Jesus still loves you. And he said, my life is so much more than a golf score. It is about taking what God has given me and glorifying him with it. Wow. You might have noticed the difference in their identity between Rhonda, Rowdy Rousey, and Scotty Scheffler. Identity is critical. Identity is critical if you want to enjoy your Christian walk. What I also find sad as I say the word enjoy your Christian walk is that probably a high percentage of the world don't even understand how the word enjoy and Christianity go together. They think, what? Enjoy your I thought Christianity is like your last-ditch effort you'd do on your deathbed because Jesus and Christianity would surely ruin your life and you'd have no fun at all. But Jesus, the creator of life, said this. He said, I have come. One of the purposes I came is that you might have... I think the, uh, um, the Amplified Classic Edition says it like this. I have come that you might enjoy a rich and satisfying life. Isn't that interesting? I kind of believe that the guy who created life probably knows more about life than anyone else knows about life. And he said, I came that you might have life and have it to the fullest measure. And so Jesus came to give us that. But knowing that, knowing who we are in Christ, is critical for us enjoying our walk with God, finding contentment and fulfillment in our walk with God. It's critical for us walking in joy and peace and hope and happiness It's critical for us living a holy, righteous life before the Lord and before an onlooking world. I want you to know this. There's a world out there who's who's looking, and they would like to know that there's something different about our lives. And when we know who we are in Christ, that becomes so powerful in transforming how we live and what we do. So I encourage you to get a hold of your identity. So we're going to uncover our God-given identity today, much like the lady on the screen has actually wiping off a window or a mirror. You ever been in a hotel bathroom and you can't see and you wipe off and you say, oh, there I am, and then you quickly fog it back up? Uh, But no, you you get to see who you really are. By the way, just a little side note, this has nothing to do with my message. Do they have the worst lights in hotel rooms whatsoever? I mean, when you're in the bathroom in the hotel room, I do not want to see myself that clearly. Okay, so it's amazing how it works. But here, here she's trying to get a good look at herself. We need to get a good look at who we are in Christ. Now, I want, to, I want us all to be on the same page when we talk about identity. Here, here's what I mean when I say identity. Identity is who you are. And maybe even better yet, identity is who you see yourself to be. Who do you see yourself to be? Now, I'm not talking about we're here today to glorify Jesus, to lift him up. It is because of him that we are here. So I'm talking about our identity in Christ. Now, you may have an identity as a, a parent or a worker or a spouse or whatever. That's all fine. I'm cool with that. But today we're talking about our identity in Jesus. Who do you see yourself to be? It's critical. Now, there's dozens and dozens and dozens of New Testament verses that tell us about our identity in Christ. And it's important that we get a hold of them. But we wonder, why do we struggle so much in getting a hold of our identity? I think that's because we have a vision of who we are in our minds that doesn't always line up with the Word of God. It's 
Do we or do we not know our flaws and our failures more than anybody else knows them? And so we're rough on ourselves, and I'm all for us moving forward in righteousness and holiness, but we start to get a skewed look at ourselves because of our flaws and failures. Rarely do we have a propensity as human beings to look at all of our good stuff and say, hold it, why don't I look at my good stuff for a moment instead of my flaws? It's just very typical that we do that. So we get that image. Then, of course, there's usually some ill-meaning, you know, associates who want to tell us how bad we are. Maybe we've had family members or friends tell us how bad we are. And I promise you the devil is whispering in your ear how bad you are. I know that from the book of Revelation. He's an accuser of the brethren and sisters. He accuses us before God. And so he's always saying negative things. And we have to say, hold, I have to break. I have to break that image of myself where it doesn't line up with the word of God in my mind. Remember last week we said we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. So I have to see how does God see me. And by the way, this is not just self-help stuff, although I'm all for you helping yourself. It is about what the word of God says. Letting the word of God, which is truth, forever settled in heaven, change the way we think. Now, you, you've probably seen this before, but I love it. It's cute, but it has a real spiritual wisdom to it. And it's this little cat. You've probably seen the cat. The cat, the little calico cat is looking in the mirror and sees the king of beasts, you know. Well, awesome. We need to see ourselves the way God sees us. So important. Now, when I talk about identity, and I talk about it on occasion, I I often reflect on an Olympic athlete. An Olympic athlete has an identity. Why doesn't the Olympic athlete, why doesn't he or she get up every morning and have a greasy sausage biscuit, a couple orders of hash browns, and a Coke? Why don't they then, for lunch, have a double cheeseburger, onion rings, fries, a milkshake? Why don't they have that? Because their identity as an Olympic athlete says, I don't eat like that. That's not who I am. That's not what I'm about. I'm not saying they might not have a meal like that on occasion, but I will promise you it will be a rare occasion. Why do they get up at 4 or 5 in the morning and work on their skill? Because they have a vision. I am an Olympic athlete. This is what I do. This is who I am. And so I often talk about that when it comes to identity. Because when sin comes knocking on your door, you and I should train ourselves to say no to that. Why? Because that's not who I am, and that's not what I'm about. That's not who I am, And that's not what I'm about. Now, there's things we should do because we say, oh, I will become a person of prayer because that's who I am and that's who I'm about. I will become a person who's faithful to the house of the Lord because that's who I am and that's who I'm about. When we would vacation, we almost always found a church as a family to go to because we're people, we're the people of God. And the people of God shouldn't forsake assembling themselves so we would go places. I remember one time we were actually at a revival service and we heard a, um, it was, we decided to go down and see Pensacola. Remember the big revival that broke out in Pensacola many years ago? We were down there and we were there to hear uh, David Yungi Cho speak. David Yungi Cho spoke that night and I'd actually heard him deliver the same message in four one-hour series. That night he gave us all four hours that night. Not a joke. Four hours, nonstop. Now, when you've gone four hours listening to someone, by, by the way, I just want you to say, th- 
thank you, Tracy, that you only go an hour or so, or a half hour, whatever, okay? So four hours, nonstop, and I didn't think it was that great the first time I heard it. So, you know, then we're there, we're, we're like exhausted. Now, our kids, this, this gospel truth, kids are sitting there, they're falling asleep. This is several years ago. They were little things. They were asleep like this. Something would happen. This is so true. They would do this. The people would start clapping. They'd go like that. And just, <laughs> I was like, well, praise God. They're, they're trying to hang in there. They were, little, they were little things. So we're leaving, and we're going someplace else in Florida. And so we're getting near where we're going to stay. And Darlene looks out the window and says, oh, that, there's a good church. Maybe that's a good place we'd go. Mitch, who was ignoring everything at that moment, piped up and said, church, church, we've had church. It's like, like, I don't want to go another four hours. So anyway, we almost always went to a place of worship because that's who we are. That's what we're about. Now, things you should do, things you shouldn't do. And I want you to know this. I bet you nor I do those things perfectly. I, I would like to say that our goal is to do everything perfectly. And wouldn't that be beautiful? I mean, I'm all for that. But most of the time, we're not going to do much of anything perfectly. But what if we got really consistent at doing it most of the time? How would it transform our lives? And so this identity of who we are. Now, I told you a week or so ago, I was reading a book by Craig Rochelle. And I've gone through the book. I went through it another time this week. Now, that's very unusual for me. But there's a lot of stuff I need to learn out of this book. So every time I'm preparing a message, something out of the book pops up, because I've gone through it seven times now, so it's like, you know, I keep thinking of stuff. Craig Rochelle says something. I like the way he says it. It's all on identity, like I use the Olympic athlete, but I like how he says it, and maybe this will lock into your mind and help you. Here's what Craig Rochelle says. He says, you do what you do because of what you think of you. You do what you do because of what you think of you. If somebody angered me today, uh, say I went to a restaurant and I thought the waiter or the waitress or somebody was really a jerk to me, uh, I will not be a jerk back to them. Why won't you? Because I do what I do because of what I think of me. Because that's not who I am and that's not what I'm about. So we begin to develop this identity of who we are. Now you may say, so you would never stand up for yourself? Oh, no, I have an adult conversation with people and tell them I think this is wrong or that's wrong or this needs to be corrected, but I'll have an adult pleasant conversation with them, but I'm not going to cuss somebody out or go crazy on them because that's not who I am and not what I'm about. Now, we need to keep developing our identity. Now, you may be two days old in the Lord today. You say, I haven't, I haven't got to any of that. That's fine. We just keep doing and we keep moving forward. We don't have to accomplish it all today. We, we are going to walk in the Spirit. It didn't say sprint in the Spirit. We're going to walk in the Spirit, and we're going to keep growing in the Lord. So you do what you do because of what you think of you. Now, when we go to some scriptures, and there's dozens and dozens we could look at, we're going to look at some that, that I want you to allow this the way God sees you to begin to transform the way you see yourself, okay? So we're going to go to 1 Peter chapter 2. In 1 Peter chapter 2, 9 and 8, if we read the verses earlier to that, we would figure out that Peter says there's some people who have rejected Christ. There's some who said, he's not going to be my cornerstone in my life. He's going to be nothing in my life. But here, Peter picks up on it and says, but you are not like that. You have not rejected Christ. 
You are not like that. Now, I want you to look at identity-driven things in these verses. You are not like that, for you are a what? Chosen people. You are a chosen people. You are royal priests. Hmm. You are a holy nation. You are God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no what? Once you had no identity. Once you had no identity as a people. But now you are God's people. Once you'd received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Look at all the stuff, just these two verses that begin to change the way we see ourselves. I'm chosen. I'm a royal priest. I'm holy. I'm God's own possession. I've been called out of darkness. I'm walking in light. I now have an identity. I'm a person of God. I didn't have mercy anymore. But you know what you have now? His mercies are new every morning. You got a fresh dose of mercy every morning. And I think probably all of us could use it, a fresh dose of mercy every single morning. This is how God sees you. Now, if how God sees you is different than how you see you, you got a choice. You can decide that you would rather have God change the way he sees you to line up with how you see you. Just want you to notice, that's a bad choice. Or you can say, I'm going to change the way I see myself to the way God sees me. That's the right choice. So we look at this, we go on down to 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 21, two verses. This chapter is about us coming into a relationship with Jesus, and therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Some translations say you're a new creature. You're, you're a new being. You are a new creation. The old has gone. The new is here. I don't know if you remember, we had a guy named Billy Ballinger uh, last year, and he's going to come back and be with us again for the years out. And Billy uh, got arrested for all kinds of things, and he and his wife, and he told the stories, like, just like you see on TV, the SWAT team breaks in, you know, they drag them off to jail, they get put in, in prison, and, uh, and deservedly so, they earned it, and he got saved in prison, and he started saying this all the time, I, I'm not guilty, why, because he didn't do what he did, no, because he was a new creation, he said, that guy they arrested is dead. He's gone. And he began to talk that and speak that over his life all the time in prison. And I'd like to hear the whole story. Miraculously, on the same day, he and his wife both get paroled and released from prison way earlier than they were supposed to. He began to get an identity of himself. He said, well, what if he would have stayed in and served all of his time? He would have still walked in prison as a new person a new believer, a new creation. The old's gone, the new is here. God made him Jesus who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. It's this great exchange 
That, again, is part of the glorious gospel of Jesus. Here's the great exchange. The greatest exchange is this. You had lots of sin, and Jesus had lots of righteousness. Jesus took all your sin and gave you all of his righteousness. Now, I want you to see this. This is in Christ. This is, we don't try to circumvent and step around Jesus. It's in him all this is a beautiful reality. And so now, when God looks at you, this is just what the Bible teaches. I know I, I say this a lot because I think identity is so critical. When God looks at you, if you're really a believer, and as you hear me say a thousand times, I'm not talking about somebody who just looked at a list of religions and thought, well, none of those really look like anything I am, but, oh, I've heard of Christianity, I'll check that. That's not what makes you a Christian. If anyone is in Christ, they've said no to themselves, yes to Jesus. They say, hey, I'm yours, you're mine. That's stepping into relationship with Jesus. When that happens, God, the Bible words, imputes, he places his righteousness on us. And the Bible says, blessed is the one whom God does not count as sin against him, that your sins are cast as far as the east is from the west, and God remembers them no more. Now, you and I are really good at remembering our sins. The devil's incredibly excellent at remembering your sins, but God chooses to forget them. He says no. And so now, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Now, I ask the questions I've asked a few times in the last few weeks. If I am the righteousness of God in Christ, is there anything I can do to be more righteous? Think I can do better than Jesus? I say no. Now, here's where the... The confusion gets, oh, so Tracy says it doesn't matter if we live righteously or not. No, I think we're designed and called by God to live righteously because righteous people do righteous things. That's why when I talk about identity, and I get why we say it, I've said it, you've said it, it's kind of a Christian cliche that I'm just an old sinner saved by grace, but that's really not said properly. We were old sinners. We are now saved by grace, and we're now the righteousness of God in Christ. Because I don't want to have an identity that I'm an old sinner. Because I know what old sinners do. They sin. I want to be, I want my identity to be the righteousness of God in Christ. Because I can tell you, the chances of me living righteously are much better if I see myself as God's righteousness. The chances of me living in sin are much better if I see myself as a sinner. So anything you ever read in scripture, it always talks about that's what you were. That's what you were. That's what you were. But you have been. You've been called out of darkness into light. You've been washed. You've been justified. You've been sanctified. All kinds of big Bible words. That's what you were. This is what you are now. And so I want you to get a vision for who you are now. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. That's the beautiful work God did. We didn't earn it. We didn't manufacture it. We didn't create it. We just said thank you to it and received it. Hmm. So, this is the truth how God sees you. I want you to pause just for a second and say, ask yourself this, do I see myself this way? Do I see myself like this? Well, let's go on, just blow our minds some more. Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is with you. Statistically speaking, not a prophetic word from God, but statistically speaking, there's probably some people here who feel God is far away. They're Christians, you love the Lord, you just feel like, I feel like he's departed, I don't sense his presence, I don't feel his presence, he is far away. I want you to know, your feelings 
can fluctuate, God's word is forever settled in heaven. Here's what God's word says, the Lord your God is with you. Well, I don't feel like it. The Lord your God is with you. For the righteous, the just, will live by faith, not by sight or by the the five senses, we live by faith. And so faith says the Lord your God is with you. Well, Tracy, that's an Old Testament verse. That's what Zephaniah was saying to those people. Okay, Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus said, I will be with you always, even to the very end of the age. Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. The Lord's here. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. That's pretty awesome. Look at this next sentence. He will take, what's the next two words? He will take great delight. Now that's okay, but who's he talking about? He will take great delight in whom? In you. He will take great delight in you. Well, I don't. Well, see, you got to quit the well, I don't. Okay? And just go, hey, that's what God's word says. I'm going to believe it. Well, I think it's too good to be true. Well, the only person who can do something too good to be true would be God. And here he says, I will take great delight in you. Yeah, but I feel God's mad at me. He's out to get me, and he's always upset with me, and he's angry at me. Okay, well, let's read on. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but here's what he will do. He will rejoice over you with singing. Is that crazy or what? The God of all the universe rejoices over you as one of his children, rejoices over me with singing. By by the way, we have a singing faith. We, if we, it's not my message today. We have a singing faith. God's a singer. Jesus was a singer. We're singers. You wonder, wonder why we always come in and sing. Because we have a singing faith. Our God rejoices over us with singing. Now, that should blow your mind a little bit. Because you should think, well, I don't know that I would rejoice over me with singing. Okay, but God rejoices over you with singing. We have that right here in the scripture. I want you to change the way you see yourself and see yourself the way God sees you. This is God's truth. This is how he sees you. This is how we live after we come to salvation in Jesus Christ. Well, what keeps us from walking consistently and daily in these truths? Well, here's some hindrances, and I'm sure it's not an exhaustive list, but here's some hindrances that keep our identity bound. Outside influences. Negative people, negative environments. And that doesn't just mean negative that they have a bad attitude, although that's not pleasant to be around either. But they're negative about your faith. They're negative about who you are. They're negative about God. If some of the main people you hang around, and I get it if you're married to them or they're in the family, it's kind of hard to get away from that. But as much as is impossible, control that environment. As much as is possible, control that. Because what... I'm just telling you, what would my life be like if I was surrounded by people who thought the Bible was a fairy tale, that prayer was a waste of time, and that God didn't exist, and if he did exist, he was a jerk? You know, what, what kind of, if that was your influence, that'd take a toll on you. So, 
outside influences. You may say, well, I really don't want to change my outside influences. And then, then beware, you're going to have some struggles in your life by your own choice of not saying no, but I just don't want to say no to people. Let me say this. If, if you went to an addiction recovery group and they started out by saying this, this is not a religious program. This is not spiritual. We don't even believe God exists. I guarantee you, they'll say, if you want to be free from your addiction, you need to change your people and your places. Guarantee it. You need to change your people and your places. You need to change your people and your places. Do you want to have more joy in your walk with God? Do you want to have more fulfillment? Do you want to have more victory? Do you want to have more hope? Do you want to have more peace? Do you want to have all of these things? Then some of you need to change your people and your places. And it would transform your life to change your people and your places. But I thought we were supposed to make an impact in the world. We are. But what's happening is the world's making an impact on you. So you've got to get healthy spiritually to where you can make an impact on the world. Bad and false beliefs. There's no shortage of it, even churches this morning. People are going to get up in the pulpits and say, man, you know, God's mad at you. God's, you know, sick and tired of you. And I can't believe it. Why did you do this week? Oh, my goodness. You better pray fast or you're going to split hell wide open. And they'll go on and on and on. And as I often say, God loved you so deeply and passionately when you were lost and hell bound. But now you're part of the family. He can't hardly stomach you. And so you get that kind of teaching and you start thinking, wow, I, I always think God's mad at me. Well, he's not. Does he think everything you do is amazing? Probably not. But I'll tell you this, he loves you. He loves you, he's passionate for you. Start looking at what does the scriptures actually teach and filter out all the bad and false beliefs. How about that shameful, sinful past? Causes a lot of shame, causes a lot of condemnation, causes a lot of guilt. Well, everybody has some. And you have to decide, am I going to let that hold me down? Again, shame has a purpose for a short period. If, again, if I went out using the same illustration as on, got mad at somebody and chewed them out and screamed or cussed at them or did whatever today, and I go home, I, I should feel some shame. I should be ashamed of the way I behave and call myself a Christian. And I should make that right. But now, what do I do? Do I say I'm going to you know, just shipwreck my walk with God for a few weeks until I get over this. And some say, well, my sin was really bad, so I better give it a year. You know what? We just have to dust ourselves off, put the past in the past. Your life will not be fulfilling as it should be if you're always going forward while you're trying to look in your rearview mirror about what happened last week, yesterday, this morning, 10 years ago. Do I want you to live right? Yes. Would I like for you to quit sabotaging yourself by poor behavior? Absolutely. But when it happens, we have a high priest before God who ever lives to make intercession for us. We have King Jesus who is our defense attorney. And when the devil steps up to the, the judge's bench and says, I want to bring accusations and charges against Tracy McIntyre, he says, I know that guy. And I'll tell you what, we don't even need to have the case. I already say, not guilty, forgiven freed. We go, oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And then I can go live like a believer. I can move forward in my life. A thought life not submitted to God's truth. God rejoices over you singing. Well, I don't think. Okay. Then don't think. 
I guess if that's what you've got to do, don't think then. You know, what does God's word say? By the way, I'm a, I'm a big believer in us thinking, but I don't want our thinking to triumph over the word of God. What does God's word say? I'm stunned to believe that God would rejoice over me with singing, but rather than argue about it, I'm just going to say, okay, seems kind of crazy to me, but thank you. I received that. You rejoice over me with singing. Wow, you're my mighty warrior who's with me and ready to save. You're not rebuking me in anger any longer. Wow, okay, I'll, I'll take that. I'll receive that. So get your thought life submitted to the word of God. Now I can tell you this. Just hearing this today and then going out and forgetting about it does not transform your life. It takes being a doer of the word. And so you can probably find a hundred great messages like this online. You can listen to this one again. You can dig into these Bible verses and read what God says about you. Just allow it to keep transforming your mind. So here's our action plan for the week. Pick one or two hindrances. Don't pick over two. I know you and I will say, but I thought of 12 different things. Okay, well, narrow it down to one or two at the most. And then ask the Holy Spirit to help you overcome those. Find a great Bible verse to combat that hindrance. And write that Bible verse down. Type it up. Print it out. Confess it. Speak it over your life. What are you, what are you trying to do? You're trying to renew your mind to God's truth so it'll transform your life. Otherwise, you're going to keep on the same path over and over and over. And, and you can love Jesus and be heaven-bound and all that, but I want you to have an enjoyable, fruitful, victorious, joy-filled, peace-filled life. And it's found in the Word of God. So, you say, well, I've been a save for a week. I don't even know what the Bible's about. When you talk about Paul, and I had a guy tell me this, you, you talk about Paul, you talk about Peter, I don't know who those people are, and, and he didn't. He'd, he'd only been in church twice, and it was for weddings. Never been in church, never heard the Bible taught. In fact, since I just mentioned Peter, guess what? God wanted to transform his identity. If you know much about Peter, Peter was rambunctious. He was always speaking before he thought. He was always making great boasts. He was... He was slippery and all over the place. And then one day, Jesus says, you're no longer going to be called Simon. I'm going to call you Peter. Why? Because everybody probably looked around because Peter meant rock. Everybody probably looked around and thought, why would you call him that? Because God sees your true identity. Now, if we follow Peter's life, we'll find out, guess what he became? A rock. He became a rock in the kingdom of God. But he had to change his identity. So here's what you do. You say, I don't know anything about how to find anything in the Bible. Just go to your favorite web browser and type in, what does the Bible say about overcoming shame? And you'll find a hundred different things. You'll probably find Bible verses, teachings, all kinds of stuff. What does the Bible say about changing my thought life? What does the Bible say about overcoming negative influences? What does the Bible say? And guess what? It'll give you all kinds of great stuff. You'll read through lots of verses on it, and you'll figure out, wow, here's a really good one that resonates with me. I'm going to learn that and memorize that, and I'm going to practice changing the way I think. Now, if you're here today and you say, I have no technology, and if you bought me technology, I wouldn't know what to do with it. 
Okay, Darlene, right beside you is a couple books. Would you hold one up in the air for the people? Thank you, Vanna. That is a promise book. And if you say, I don't know, you can, there's a couple of them up here. They're free. You can come get one if you want one. I bought a couple spare ones. She said, I wouldn't know how to look anything up. Now, it's not as exhaustive as the internet, but it'll have about 50 different things in there that you say, I need to know about this. And you can look it up in that little book, and it will tell you Bible verses to help you overcome in that area. And yes, it is a very generous gift. Those are $2 a piece. I mean, we're talking $2 a piece. You can buy those books. So the goal is, I want to get these promises deeply rooted in me. I want to get these promises deeply rooted in me. It's interesting because when something is deeply rooted in you, let me tell you what happened. I was in the computer business for years. I had a computer company, and I made a quote to someone, and I was just selling it to them at bare bones because their business did a lot of business with me, and they wanted one for their home. And so when the product comes in, it was $500 more than what my paperwork said it should be. So I called the people and said, I'm looking here at your list here, and, and uh, this is, five, you charged me $500 more. So they look at it up and go, yeah, that's wrong. I said, well, what are you going to do about it? Nothing. I said, so you gave me a wrong price list, and you're not going to honor it. That's correct. That price list is subject to change, you know, without notice. So I talked to the people, and they said, you know what? You told us it was going to be this amount of money. So they're telling me the same thing I told the other person. What are you going to do about it? I said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do about it. I'm going to lose $500. And the thing that got me, because you think, boy, this will be so beautiful when the word gets it. The word will challenge you in all kinds of things. So I'm thinking, hey, this is 500 bucks. Now, by the way, this is many years ago, and $500 is big money to me now, let alone years ago. And... Uh, Bible verse came to my mind. If you make a commitment to a man, even to your own hurt, you're to keep it. <sighs> Thanks a lot, Holy Spirit. You know, is there not something else we could do? And so I decided I would sell that at a $500 loss. And I'm not joking about this. When I delivered that product, and they were gracious, said, nah, we don't want this. I said, no, too late. The Lord's already dealt with me on this. I told him the Bible verse he told me. And I cannot explain to you the amount of joy I had delivering that product for a $500 loss. Now, I, I really don't know. What if, you, what if you would have quoted something that would have been a $10 million loss because it's a mega thing. I don't know what I would have done. You know, I don't know how I could have, I, I could figure out how to lose 500. I don't know if I could figure out how to lose 10 million. All I know is that when you get the word and you'll start popping up in all kinds of things. And it may ruin something for you. But I can promise you this, if it ruins something for you, it'll be the best thing that ever happened to you. But I wanted to go out and do this, okay? But God's word said not to. I thought that was really going to be fun. Let me tell you something. I know something about the giver of life. That will not end up being fun in the end. So obey God's word. Now, these promises, get them in our spirit so that they pop up in our minds and our hearts. And we can say, hold it. I now find joy in my walk with God. I found peace. I find victory. I find overcoming power. I find holiness. I find right living. 
And it's not just before God, although he's our number one audience. It's before an onlooking world who needs to see that Jesus is legit.